I have been so anxiously awaiting the moment when we would finally cover this particular book on the podcast. I have quite the personal story to share with you about this one. You're going to have to keep listening to hear it, but trust me, it's a good one and it will tell you so much of what you need to know about the fourth grade version of me. The book is Frindle by Andrew Clements. Frindle was published in 1996 and tells the story of a fifth grader named Nick Allen, who is basically famous at school for his uncanny ability to stall his teachers, charm his way out of assignments, and generate just enough mischief in the classroom. This might be a surprise, but his biggest foray into troublemaking actually comes when he decides to take on the dictionary. Inspired by his strict, dictionary-loving teacher, Mrs. Granger, Nick decides to see what will happen if he starts using the word Frindle in place of the word pen, and can convinces others to do the same. Frindlemania spreads pretty quickly, and soon, kids are being forced to stay after school for punishment, Nick is being interviewed on David Letterman, and a local entrepreneur is making money from Frindle merch. Nick was going viral before going viral was even a thing. On today's episode, my guests and I chat about what we loved about this story and the characters in it. We touch on tough teachers and double standards and what it means to be a troublemaker and the moments of Frindle that almost feel like an adult book. We also have a really interesting conversation about the ways in which the culture of schools differs between countries, more specifically the U.S. and India. Today's guests are Damit and Kati, the amazing team behind the Brown Girls Read podcast. They love to read, and on their show, they talk about books and their culture. Check out the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow them on Instagram at browngirlsreadpod and browngirlshappyhour. You can also learn more about the show at browngirlsread.com. I had the best time chatting with Daman and Kati, and I want to say a big thank you to them for sharing their time with us. Thanks so much to each and every one of you for supporting SSR, simply by tuning in, downloading episodes, and subscribing to the show. It is such a treat getting to know many of you through social media and our growing community of book lovers. If you're not already, you can follow SSR at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find the show on Facebook by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Podcast Community. If you want to get even more involved with the SSR community, you have got to join our brand new book club. The book selections for April are The Giver and You Should See Me in a Crown, and the conversations happening among our nearly 90 members have already been so good before we even started reading. Oh, and it's free. Learn more at the link in SSR's Instagram bio or at www.ssrpodcast.com slash ssrbookclub. Want to show some love for the podcast? You can leave a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or share about this episode to your Instagram story. You might also consider visiting www.ssrpodcast.com shop so you can rock SSR t-shirts, tote bags, bookmarks, and stickers, all while supporting this little independent pod. You can also join Patreon. As an SSR patron, you will have access to awesome exclusive rewards like monthly newsletters, bonus episodes, Patreon parties, reading recap videos, and more. We have been having so much fun over on Patreon so far this year, and I would love to see you there. You can join for as little as a dollar per month and those contributions go such a long way toward helping me grow and improve the show. Thank you so much to all of the Patreon sponsors tuning in to episode 137. To learn more, visit www.patreon.com ssrpodcast or go to www.ssrpodcast.com and click support at the top of the page. Supporting independent podcasts is important, but so is supporting independent bookstores, especially after a year like the one we've just had. Libro FM has made it possible for you to support indie bookstores instead of giant corporations when you shop for audiobooks. The audiobooks you can get from Libro FM are exactly the same ones as the ones you would buy from the big guys, and they're the same price too. There's really no downside. In fact, there's an extra upside. 
SSR listeners can cash in on a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and use code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Audiobooks are a great way to make a little extra progress on your TBR list. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Katzi. Hi, Daman. Welcome to SSR. Thank you for having us. It's so great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. We are super excited to discuss this book with you and to meet you. And we love discussing books. So that's our favorite <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> I know. I feel the same way. And it's so nice to just like meet new people within the book podcasting world. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel it can get a little lonely because it's such a specific thing that we do. And it's such a passion project. So it's nice to be reminded that there are other people who are kind of like driven by the same things who enjoy talking about books and like putting in all of this time to make book podcasts the way that we do. Oh, definitely. I totally relate to that. Like sometimes you feel like you're just talking to a mic. And I'm glad I do it with Kathy because otherwise it would be even lonelier. <laughs> I agree. I sometimes I'm like you, maybe I should have gotten a co-host because it's just like me and my dog and my husband talking about my podcast, but they're obviously not on my podcast with me. So I think you had the right idea bringing in co-hosts from the beginning. That was a very good call. (laughs) And I'm very excited to have both of you on the podcast today talking about a little book called Frindle by Andrew Clements. And I'd love to start by talking a little bit about why you chose this book. I think you mentioned before we started recording that this was a new book for you. So maybe like why this was the one you selected of the ideas that I sent your way. I think Daman picked the book, but I can say why I really like the book. It's because okay. when I read the summary of the book, I really enjoyed. I mean, I guess it was sort of like myster- mysterious to me as well. You know, what happens next, right? Because he creates a new word. And then I was like, okay, I want to know what happens next. But I think that's why we picked the book because we really like the summary of the book. Yeah. And also the cover, I think it kind of reminded me of a little bit of Harry Potter and I'm a big Waterhead. So I was like, yeah, the premise is also kind of like that. This boy doing adventurous things. So let's read about it. Well, I'm really glad you picked it. So I have a very specific kind of absurd story about Frindle from my own childhood that I've been waiting to share until the moment that we finally had a Frindle episode. So this feels like a big moment. Okay, so my history with Frindle, I read it when I was, I think, in fourth grade. And I don't know what possessed me to do this because I read a lot when I was a kid and I loved a lot of books when I was a kid. But for some reason, I I just like developed an obsession with this book so much so that I decided that I needed to turn it into a play for my fourth grade class to perform. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was like, I took it super seriously because I was that kind of a kid. I was like, okay, like this is a very important job. <laughs> Only I can bring this art to my elementary school. And my teacher must have just kind of like let me run with it. And I think 
I think pretty much everybody in the class had to participate in some way. And I remember that like one of the cool boys in class, he got the part of Nick Allen because he has red hair. Kenny Ross, if you're out there listening, hope you're doing well. But I was surprised because I thought he would be like too cool to participate in this kind of a thing because he was too cool to be my friend. I'll never forget he ran like the fastest mile in the class. Like he was that boy. I think there's one in every class. He was like fast and tall and had bright red hair. And so he got the part of Nick Allen. And I remember being like, oh, like, I will never be able to direct him because he is just so cool. And he's never going to want to be part of my play. But I don't really remember how well it went. I I just remember putting the whole thing together and being very proud of it. Oh, wow. That's a big thing to do in fourth grade, like directing a play. That's awesome. I know. I can't imagine myself like taking initiative like that. (laughs) Yeah, but I took myself too seriously. Like I think I think that when I look back, I'm like, I should have, if I was going to do something like that, I hope that I just had fun. And I think sometimes I got myself like very worked up about those sorts of things. I just took myself very seriously, which I think can go too far when you're 10 or whatever. But yeah, I loved this book for a little bit of background listeners. It was published in 1996 and I discovered something kind of cool. And this is an award that I've never heard of, but in 2016, so 20 years after it was released, it won something called the Phoenix Award which I've never come across, but it's an award that's given by the Children's Literature Association. And it's always given 20 years after a book's been published. And the idea is to give it to the best English language children's book that did not win a major award when it was published two decades before. So I thought that was kind of a fun fact. Yeah, that's very cool to have a very specific award like that. Yeah. Also, I I don't know why it didn't win any children's books award when it was published. It's a very interesting read. Maybe a tough competition at that point. That's true. That's probably true. But I think you're right, Katzi. Like, I also feel as though it should have been, it's perfect for like teachers and librarians who generally are the kinds of people that are making decisions about these sorts of things, like making decisions about awards for kids books. It's literally a book about like school and language and making up new words. And it's so wild to me that it didn't win more words. Like it didn't even win a Newbery honor, which I feel that it should have. And I just think it's a really special book. So I agree with you. I'm glad that it finally got some recognition, even though it took 20 years. A couple of other fun facts. So this book was the first novel written by Andrew Clements. He had written a lot of other picture books, and he actually initially thought that Frindle was going to be a picture book, but it was rejected by all major publishers as a picture book. Like he really wanted to chase down this idea of what it would be like if a kid tried to create a new word and nobody wanted it. And so he was like, okay, I guess I have to write my first middle grade novel. So I thought that was kind of interesting too. Yeah, it was. And I think this idea of a child creating its own word is also super foreign to us I guess because we did our schooling from India and there I guess no kind of novelty was appreciated so that's why also I think it was a very interesting read to me yeah and I guess that that premise is really great and I'm glad he didn't create a picture book but went ahead and you know wrote a novel about it and his story is also a reminder that sometimes rejection leads you to like better places which I think, yeah. I think this is definitely better than a picture book. Yeah, you wouldn't have gotten nearly as much out of a picture book. And he actually came up with the idea. And it must have been when he was like touring schools, talking to kids about his picture books, because I read a story in an article on the New York Times and listeners, as always, I'll include links to 
everything that I found about Frindle in the show notes for this episode. But he, I guess, was like presenting to a class of kids and he was joking with them about like, well, what if I started calling this pen a Frindle? And they being kids, they're like, no, you can't do that. That would never happen. And he sort of like kept pushing them on it and like playing with them and teasing them. And rightfully so. He was like, this would make a great book. So this came from his experience with kids. He actually was a teacher before he started writing. So he like spent time in the classroom. And I think that's part of the reason he's become so well known for classroom stories. I love the way he writes about dynamics between teachers and students. But Katsy, I thought what you mentioned about like the novelty of like the word Frindolf being so different to the way that you grew up going to school in India, like I would love if you're willing to share a little bit more, like, are there parts of this school environment that we are presented with in Frindle that do resonate with you and your experience growing up? Or did it feel like a completely different sort of environment? Like, is it a different set of relationships between teachers and students? What was familiar or what was different? I think maybe our listeners would find that interesting. I guess what I found interesting was that when I was growing up in schools in India, I think it's like that even now as well creativity isn't appreciated a lot i mean it's great if a, if if a child is creative but that is all in on the side right like he does he gets really great grades in math science and all of those conventional subjects but yes he's also creative and that's a great plus but that's never seen as sort of like a thing that you can grow up into and can make a career out of and another thing also is that any sort of creativity and asking questions is not appreciated at all. So when I was reading Frindle, I was like, wow, this seems like a great environment for kids to be in because this boy is asking so many questions and coming up with so many different ideas. And his parents are sort of supportive of him. His classmates are supportive. One of his teachers isn't, but like mostly all of them are. I saw it in that way. I guess someone else, someone might have perceived the story in a different way. But I guess, yeah, that w- that was my impression of the story. I can actually totally relate to what you're saying. And I mean, we both have grown up in India, so our experiences are more or less the same. And creativity, yes, never appreciated, never encouraged. In fact, I can tell my own personal experience. I, like Kathy, you know, like I'm kind of creative, have always been. So I remember one time, I don't know, maybe it was English class in like sixth, seventh grade or something. So there was a very beautiful poem that we had to write in our notebook. Uh, And it was something about rainbows and like stuff. I don't remember the poem at all. So I drew like a very pretty rainbow on the border of my notebook. And the teacher just flipped out. She like basically tore it out from my notebook. And now that I think back on it, I'm like, what a way to kill someone's creativity. Like just, you know, nip it in the bud right then and there. Like how dare you do anything? And that I think is very telling of the system in general that you have to walk the line, the straight line. You cannot like budge even an inch from that. That is how schooling was. Yeah. And even in the book, like when Nick was asking questions in classes, I guess a lot of the teachers would get really pissed at him or annoyed but they would still answer him or try to answer him right I remember when I was a kid I used to ask a lot lot of questions in class and I used to get really like uh, my teachers used to hit me you know and because I was asking too many questions and my parents would get called to schools and they were like your daughter is getting out of hand because she's asking too many (laughs) questions and she doesn't let let the classes go forward oh wow And I was like, okay. And now that I think about it, and it used to make me feel really sad. But now yeah. that I think about it, I was like, 
wow like i mean like taman said what a great way to you know suppress curiosity in a child as well and i also feel that now listening to you tell and also like remembering my own experience like it was sort of an abusive relationship like teachers had this power trip of sorts like you know this whole hitting kids for basically nothing yeah. and you know you would get scolded all the time like for talking oh i remember this another teacher who used to scold the entire class for uh, you know you have those pencil boxes so if you open it close it there's like a tiny sound that will happen she made the entire class get rid of them so you would just get your stuff in like this cloth pouches or something and i'm like wow that's like abuse of power <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Okay, so very much not like Nick Allen's environment. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Not at all and not very much like the environment I grew up in either. I will say though that like I think that you were mentioning how you were nervous sometimes to like ask a lot of questions and like that didn't always go over well and I do think that like there's something even in the US with like the way that like I think I was socialized as a little girl like I think that there were a lot more boys like Nick Allen in my classes when I was in elementary school who like had absolutely zero hesitations to raise their hand and speak up constantly and even though i think i have always been like a naturally inquisitive person i loved school like i always wanted to be the teacher's pet that wasn't something i had any shame about whatsoever but i think that there's something about like at least in the 90s when i was growing up it was like ooh as a as a little girl like should i should i ask another question like is this annoying no the other boys are just going to ask more questions anyway so i do think it's interesting to read a book about this little boy who's just like no i'm going to ask all these questions i'm going to stall the teachers like i am running this classroom the teacher isn't like i am in control and i think that that is a very specific like white male experience in 1996 when this book was written that's true and even in our classes i remember a lot of the boys were the ones who were raising hands answering questions or even making fun of the teachers at their expense i guess those were most of the boys were doing that but not girls they were not encouraged to ask questions or i mean they were hesitant as well of asking questions i don't know why i don't know why this happens that girls automatically become hesitant in raising their voices to like ask questions or something and boys don't but yes that's true as well cuz i think girls are also ridiculed by the same boys if they talk yeah. out like yeah. if there's a loud girl she'll get ridiculed so eventually you know you kind of tend to start falling into the stereotypical roles that are assigned to you like girls shouldn't be loud they shouldn't talk too much it's more of a boy thing girls don't crack jokes like this girls don't laugh out loud there's a long list of things right and even today it's very prevalent like i at my work we interviewed someone very recently about gender bias at different stages of their life so one of the girls was talking about this in and it was more specific to stem but she was like I always felt like I was the odd one out. The guys would often make her feel like she doesn't know what she's doing and she's like 2 years later I know that I knew everything but that feeling how the boys behaved in the class and made her feel like they had been doing this ever since they have been born and she's the one who doesn't know what stem is what coding is kind of really discourage her from going into that field. Yeah, I mean I think even in the exact same context that like Nick Allen is living in this book I think 
like a white girl even, you know, even if we're taking out sort of other kinds of biases, a white girl probably would be ridiculed if she behaved the way that Nick Allen behaves in this book. Like she would be perceived as glossy. She would be perceived as a know-it-all. All of these phrases that were thankfully discouraged from using in 2021 to describe young girls probably would have been assigned to her. And so I actually hadn't thought about any of this, even when I was kind of processing the reading experience until we started talking, which is the beauty of talking about books. But yeah, I don't know that like, this kind of behavior would have been perceived as like charming or like mischievous if if it had been either a girl or a person of color. Like I think Nick Allen gets to be this way because he's like a, a white little boy in New Hampshire and like that's totally cool by everyone. <laughs> so I loved the book. I'm not, I'm not gonna look, I feel like I'm getting off to a bad start with all these complaints. <laughs> but I do think like it's worth mentioning. Like I I don't I don't know that at least when I grew up, like anybody who was not like a Nick Allen type probably would not have been celebrated for the kind of behavior that we see in Nick Allen in this book. But I will get off my soapbox (laughs) because because I will. Nick Allen has a pretty good reputation in this book. People are really into him. And I think one of the kind of core questions that I was thinking about that this book presents is like, what makes a kid a troublemaker, right? Like what makes a kid poorly behaved and we meet this boy Nick Allen who is in fifth grade he's on the verge of moving to middle school and he has this reputation for like always being able to stall teachers so he can like keep homework assignments at bay like he can sort of just like charm his way out of anything all the kids love that he can do that the teachers don't really seem to mind but his like big issue occurs when he decides to make up a word. And I think it's interesting because the whole book opens with this idea of like, he's a troublemaker, but is he? And the whole book kind of like plays out with this idea that like some people think that his creative decision to like invent a word makes him like a quote bad kid and some people don't and it's this whole debate about like what actually constitutes a troublemaker, which I just think is interesting to think about. It's like such a simple question. And I like the way this book addresses it. Yeah, me too. I don't know the the technicalities of what makes a kid a troublemaker, but I guess I can I, I can totally see how Nick Allen was could have been perceived as a troublemaker by the teachers. And then, of course, like you know, when I'm reading a book, I keep comparing it to, and everyone does that. Like we can keep comparing it to our childhood and the way we grew up. And definitely someone like Nick Allen would have been a definite troublemaker <laughs> in our schools. And I remember my brother who was uh, who was sort of like Nick Allen, not in the sense of like he would ask too many questions or try to come up with new ideas. He would always try to, you know, tinker with the things that was in front of him. So he would try to open up the trucks or the toy cars or, you know, even the laptops and the computers that were in front of him. And my parents would get so mad at him. All the teachers would get so mad at him and he would be like outside of the class in punishment all the time so I guess like there are different definitions of what makes a kid troublemakers according to cultures as well I think troublemaker is defined by the authority figure whether it's a parent mm. or a teacher a teacher who's more friendly and relaxed will probably not call Nick Allen a troublemaker would encourage and if like it was anything like teachers like I had <laughs> It's a definite troublemaker. So yeah, I don't think the kid in question is so much a troublemaker versus it's like the environment that kid is in that decides that. That's a really interesting point. And just sounds very smart. 
I really appreciate that. That I think that's a great way to sum it up, like the authority figure. And you can probably look, look at it that way in any context, whether you're talking about a school all the way up to like a larger institution or organization. It's the authority figure that's determining like what is quote unquote good behavior versus bad behavior. And often those standards are not fair or reasonable, but that doesn't mean that the people who are part of the organization don't have to like deal with those decisions. And so, yeah, in this case, Mrs. Granger, Nick's teacher is the one who's deciding. And I'd love to know what your first impressions of Mrs. Granger were. She's such a great teacher character. And I just love to know what you thought about her when you first were introduced. I think even in the beginning, I didn't really hate her. Like she's the only villain kind of person in this book. But even in the beginning, I was like comparing her to my own teacher. So I was like, she's like letting him run the entire class he basically did a filibuster in the class to waste time right so she let him do that and while understanding this is what he's doing so even though she was the one strict teacher she still had like so much room and flexibility and to me that was like oh that's a good teacher so even the worst teacher in the book wasn't bad for me that's true. Yeah. I was also thinking the same thing that she is sort of giving him a space to think. And even if he's asking too many questions, she's like, okay, so think about it, come, come back with a report on it. And, you know, we can talk about it later. So I guess I was like, yeah, she's not a bad teacher. But until later in the book, when she started actually using some means to suppress his curiosity, and you know, the things that he came up with, when he came up with a name for Frintel, I guess until then, I was like, okay, she's a fine teacher but after that I was like okay now she's being you know like uh, irrational about or a regular teacher in my experience that's what she was being <laughs> <laughs> you're like we're totes normal like we're yes absolutely <laughs> yeah I feel like we I there were a few moments early on where I really liked her and like I said like I I was predisposed as a kid to like all teachers. Like I just loved school. I loved teachers. I wanted to make every teacher like me, which has probably like transitioned to some bad habits as an adult, but that's a topic <laughs> for another conversation. So I think like I even, I remember in school, even when I like was assigned teachers that I knew had reputations as being really challenging or strict, like I was like, great, I'm up for the challenge. Like I, I'm going to, I'm going to learn from them. They're going to like me. I'm, it's going to be fine. I was like, okay, Mrs. Granger's is strict, but she'll be okay. And then I think there's a moment when Nick is delivering the report that you referred to where he, it's sort of a punishment because he like asks so many questions. So she's like, okay, go home write a report about the dictionary and come back and share it with the class. And he sort of got really into the report. Like it was more interesting than he thought it would be. We do get some indication that he's a bookworm. Like he talks about how he is good at using words and he's read a lot of words. And I always love that in a main character in a kid's book. Like so fun to see a protagonist who loves to read. But he's noticing as he's sharing his report. And of course, his idea was like, I'm going to stall the class so that we don't have to learn anything. So he's talking and talking and talking. And his classmates are just over it and not interested. But Mrs. Granger is like, is listening to him. And I think that's partially because obviously, like she assigned the report to him. But to me, there was something very telling about the fact that like, maybe he's not used to people like listening to him in that way, or like taking him seriously as somebody who's smart and not just kind of mischievous or like, I don't know, I don't want to use the word troublemaker, because I don't think he's a troublemaker. But I think like his reputation around the school is that he does have some propensity for troublemaking. And so I think it was kind of cool that 
she even very early on in meeting him was encouraging him to like flex some of these other muscles of like, okay, you're really smart and you're really curious and you're really inquisitive. And it just seemed to me like he was secretly enjoying the fact that she was listening. Yeah, that's a good point. Yes, he was definitely enjoying the fact that she was listening. And I think that also told me that she is not a bad teacher. Like she's not really a villain, villain, even though she gets annoyed and irritated at what kids do. And she's very, very strict. I guess she is not like the teachers that I had (laughs) in school. (laughs) So yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think that moment kind of negated everything that was told ahead of time about Mrs. Granger. Like she had a reputation for Mm -hmm. being strict and like this mean teacher. But the way I saw it, like you said, Ali, like she was actually listening. She was paying attention. She might be strict about her ways, but she's giving students a chance to grow and learn. And I think that is so important. So I felt like she was a great teacher. Like, yeah, there are some parts later in the book that make you think like, oh, what is this weird game that's happening now? Like a power trip of sorts. But I think I really loved her. I was like, yeah, that's a good teacher. Why why does she have a reputation? Yeah. Well, it's also like, it's not as if she was assigning busy work to him and then was like, I remember in school hating when a teacher would just like assign extra work to you, but wouldn't read it or wouldn't give you an opportunity to share it. Like she assigned him extra work and then she was paying attention and like she actually cared about the time he'd put in. So she wasn't just using this extra work as a punishment. Like she really genuinely wanted him to learn. And I hadn't thought about this before either, but I do think this book, especially the beginning, has a lot to say about just this idea of like people's reputations preceding them. Like Nick had a reputation at the school about the way that people expected him to behave. And Mrs. Granger had a reputation around the school about the way that people expected her to behave. And I think by the end of the book, we find out that both of their like true selves are much more complicated than that. Oh, yeah. The end was just yeah. very endearing to me. I like hugged the book because that it was like that moment for me. <laughs> oh, I love, that. love to hug a book. Yeah, I love the ending as well. It was I didn't see it coming actually, even though I had this I mean, even though I guess all of us had this inkling that she's not actually a bad teacher. She's not a villain. But I didn't see this end coming where you know what it was actually and I loved it. Like she went out of her way. She didn't have to do that. So that yeah. was a big surprise. I don't know if we are giving out spoilers. I think it's an old book, so it's fine. (laughs) Yeah, spoilers are allowed, but let's talk more about like what a Frindle is and how the whole Frindle thing happened because I do want to talk about the ending because I I actually like copied down every word of the letter she wrote him just because I think it's so special and so sweet and so unique even to a children's book. So let's talk about the ending, but first let's like discuss the Frindle situation. So the word Frindle comes up when – Nick is walking home from the bus with his friend Janet and Janet finds a gold pen and Nick is like, you know, his his wheels are turning because he's had this conversation about dictionaries in class with Mrs. Granger and he's like, here is your Frindle and he decides that he's going to see if he can reassign the name of a pen to become Frindle, not only for himself, but like the idea kind of grows, right? So at first I think it's just a joke and he's testing it out. And then he asks some of his friends to go ask the woman who works at a local convenience store for a frindle and like they're gesturing towards the pen that the pen like the jar of pens that's on the cashier's desk and a bunch of them do that and they start talking about it at school. And so he's sort of I mean, that's probably if you're going to change a word or come up with a new word, that's probably the best way to do it is to sort of just like 
slowly make the switch throughout town, and the reaction at school is mixed. Mrs. Granger, not pleased. She's like, the dictionary is the law, and you are breaking the law. And she starts punishing the kids. She starts making them stay after school, copying lines. If they use the word frindle instead of pen, it becomes such an issue because pretty much every kid at school, or at least to start with, every kid in the fifth grade is using the word frindle. So they all have to stay after school. They're all having to take a late bus home, which does not make anybody at the school happy. And then the principal actually makes a house call to Nick's house, which I have, I think that that seems pretty serious to me. I don't ever remember having like a school administrator go to somebody's house when I was growing up. That seemed pretty extreme. Yeah, that was sort of an inkling of a revolution coming up, right? (laughs) (laughs) And everyone trying to suppress it, going out of the way to suppress it and be like, okay, so let's try this. Let's try that. Let's try going to his parents and talking to them. And then, or let's try holding all the kids back after school as a punishment. I see it just like that, you know, trying to suppress a a budding revolution, I guess. I think that's a great analogy, Kathy. (laughs) I didn't like put it in words like that, but now I see it. Yeah, that's how I felt when I was reading it. Like something big is coming up. They felt it brewing. They knew it was coming. I loved the way Nick's parents handled this conversation with the principal, though, because his mom is like, I feel like we're making a big deal about something that's really not that big of a deal. And they give Nick an opportunity to explain himself, which I thought was pretty cool as well, and maybe not something that all parents would do. And so he explains to the principal that the word ain't is actually in the dictionary, because that's the example that the principal uses. It's like, yeah, you can say the word ain't, but that doesn't mean that it's actually a word. And Nick, because he is so smart and he has been paying attention in class and to the dictionary, he's like, um, I actually looked up the word ain't and it is in the dictionary. So does that mean that I can use it? And the way that his parents speak to him after the principal leaves is basically like, we don't really care if you want to do this thing with the word frindle, but please don't be disrespectful to teachers at your school. And I thought that that was great. I was like, perfectly reasonable. If you want to make up a different word and like play around with that go forth but just like don't be a jerk to people at school I was I thought that was great yeah me too I really like his parents reactions as well it was some something that I could never see my parents or any parent around me <laughs> doing so that was pretty cool yeah I think if this happened to me at school like a teacher or like principal came home my parents would just immediately see it as an attack on them like how like like I don't know what's the English translation of like knocked gay kind of thing <laughs> but like like ru- ruined our reputation yeah. I guess yeah like brought shame to us and like you know different version of this thing and you would immediately get scolded you would get no opportunity to tell your side like your side doesn't exist it's all about like adults in that case right so I really thought like when his mom was like oh what is this? It doesn't sound like a big deal. Why are you at our house for this? I was like, oh, yeah, mama bear. <laughs> like, yes, that's how it should be. <laughs> and then later, like you said, like how he had a chance to rationally tell his side and debate. I just can't see that happening. Yeah. Also, I guess the principal, like you said, Ali, the principal of the school coming to a student's house is actually a big deal like if it was a teacher who calls or writes a note you know parents are still prepared for it but if a principal goes to to a student's house and talks about how he's misbehaving I guess yeah parents wouldn't be able to handle that at all that would be a big thing yeah I think she showed up unannounced 
yeah. too, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, which also I think is like a sign of the times and like maybe not even the times. Like this was written in 1996. My assumption is that this is a pretty small town where everybody yeah. knows each other and like it's totally normal to just drop by. But I also think that like that's not the way people behave in 2021. Like if you're going to show up at somebody's house for the most part, you better call, you better email. Like we got to know when you're coming. We need to know if you have any dietary restrictions, <laughs> like all of those things. So I thought that that was like that to me felt like such a relic of the time where kids, if they read this book today, they'd be like, how does she even know where they live? That She could just stop by the house. Yeah, privacy violation. <laughs> yeah, seriously, you can't just come like be at a kid's house. That that can't be allowed in 2021. I would imagine that that would be frowned upon. So yeah, I like the way his parents dealt with it. And I thought that the way that the Frindle phenomenon spread was actually very 2021 to me because at first it spreads kind of organically, like through the town. There's other kids at other schools who start using it. And then there's like a local newspaper report about it. And then a local news station reports on it. And then suddenly he's like on David Letterman and the word just gets out. And I couldn't help but think about like if something of this nature happened in 2021, first of all, it would happen much faster, but like it, it sort of spreads the same way, right? Like a bunch of kids are talking about it and then it probably like hits TikTok or something. <laughs> But then it's on like Jimmy Fallon, you know, now all of these things are spreading out and it, it actually felt sort of contemporary to me in some ways. Yeah, it did. I was, it also made me think, you know, how, yeah, how it would have happened in 2021. And you were right. I was just thinking about, you know, just tweet something or make a TikTok video or an Instagram reel and, you know, it would reach out to like, I don't know, like millions of people right yeah so I think that that was very 2021 to me that wasn't like 1996 at all yeah he did go viral ahead of times <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it felt like as viral as you can get in 1996 I didn't remember that part like I think I've always thought about this book because clearly I mean I I made a big deal about it when I was a kid so there are parts <laughs> of it that have stuck with me but I I think I thought that it was just a thing that happened in his school, but he sort of made like a big impact. He had some reach here. Once you're on David Letterman in 1996, I mean, forget it. Everybody knows. And it is a good human interest piece. I mean, I know Ellen DeGeneres is rightfully very controversial, but in 2021, Ellen would have a field day having this kid on her show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> He's a perfect interview for her. So, yeah, the word gets out. There's this other guy in town who we need to talk about. His name is Bud Lawrence. And he's like a local entrepreneur. I think he started with like a Dairy Queen franchise and he just has a bunch of businesses. And he, without talking to Nick, decides that he's going to like get in on Frindle Craze and starts making merch. Like there's pens. He starts making shirts. And I was really mad at first. Like I would say this is the only time that I was frustrated with Nick's parents because Bud Lawrence is doing this without permission for a while. And then when he finally does talk to Nick's parents, he only talks to Nick's dad, of course. Yeah. And Nick's dad like doesn't bring Nick into the conversation. And I get that he's a kid, but this was fully Nick's thing. And Bud Lawrence just like cuts a deal with Nick's dad where they're going to give Nick a certain percentage of the profits, which is nice. But like, I kept waiting for Nick's dad to like pull Nick aside and see if he was okay with it because it seemed like that was something that he would do. I was also thinking in terms of more like business minded, not even like with Nick. I was like, why is he not suing the guy? Why is he just taking whatever is given? No negotiations, nothing. And that guy 
was just saving his own ass so he like offered some percentage or like something but i probably nick deserved more much more than that so like his dad fought he's like just leave me alone he didn't fight for it like he didn't do anything i was kind of disappointed yeah i think that's what his i mean when we think about it that is his parents attitude has been very casual right from the beginning like they didn't take nick seriously even before that's why even when the principal came to the school they were like okay it doesn't seem like a big deal to us so i guess they were just underestimating nick right from the beginning and then since they already had this image of nick like our kid is not going to go anywhere so you know like might as well just make money out of this if a businessman has an idea you know of out of all this fiasco so they would just get whatever they could i guess that was their attitude actually i didn't even see that i think his dad was like i don't want to meet you i don't want to meet you again do whatever like that's what yeah. that's how i saw it cuz i was like so that guy just paid you a few thousand bucks and who knows if he's going to put anything in the trust fund or not you're not keeping tabs how is this thing going to work i was kind of worried for a moment there yeah, <laughs> yeah there's nothing in writing like and we don't have venmo so you can't just venmo me money <laughs> when you owe it to me yeah. like how do you know that these bankers are actually following along with the arrangement Yeah, I thought he was just going to not give him money. Like that was my perception, but later when he did, I was like, okay, so this this guy was also honest. Yeah, I thought that's just that few thousand bucks initially he offered and that's the end of it. Yeah. So I was kind of like mad and like sad and like smad at him. <laughs> <laughs> mad, love that word. Is that that's a Gilmore Girls word, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice Gilmore Girls reference. Um no, I agree. I think my reading of it was that like Nick's dad just didn't want to deal with it and so he was like whatever like if I can make some money off of it it's like he just like didn't want to have to manage any of it and so that's sort of how I read it also and I don't know it just felt like sort of out of character because up until that point it seemed like they for the most part were like trying to keep Nick involved in all the conversations and something else I was thinking about is that like in some ways this is a very adult book because we have a lot of adult characters and not only do we have a lot of adult characters but we're not always seeing them through Nick's point of view right so it's not as if like we meet the the local news reporter and Bud Lawrence through Nick it's not like Nick has these interactions with Bud Lawrence or with the reporter it's that the narrator of the book like takes us on this separate journey and we're being introduced to these other adults who are engaging in like fairly adult affairs this negotiation between Nick's dad and Bud Lawrence for example like that's not typical fodder for a kids book and even in the end of the book which we'll get to shortly where we have an adultish he's in college like an adult version of Nick receiving a letter from his old 5th grade teacher like there's actually kind of a lot of adult matters in this book and maybe it's just because I was rereading it as an adult but I was like this feels like a very short and easy to read adult book in some ways Yeah that was my thought too and i was like if i wonder if i give it to a kid to read like in india right like a teen or a preteen how would they perceive it would they even understand the intricacies of the plot and you know these small things that we have noticed i don't think they will though i mean i guess i mean you have read the book before right and we haven't so you can see like how how differently you have understood it now versus before so i guess they would definitely skip over some of the major points but i think that's true for any book like i see how you see it as an adult book now i saw it as well but i think even the books that are not ya 
you read them differently if you read them a few years apart. Yeah, that's yeah, true. That's true. I think it was just so like interesting to me that I, because I obviously like in other YA books, like we learn about adults, but often it's through like a lot of times the, the book will be written in first person. And so we're meeting these adults like through the eyes of a teen narrator, like a teen main character. So I just thought it was unusual that like, we're being taken outside of the action of what's actually happening with the kids and then meeting these adults. So I, I don't think I had like a feeling about it either way, whether I liked it or didn't, but it was, it's different even in comparison to a lot of the other kids books that I read for the podcast. So it was just like an interesting strategy for the author. But let's talk about the end of the book because I know we've been excited to talk about the end. <laughs> so when Nick is having all these interactions with Mrs. Granger while he's in fifth grade, she has him write his name on the front of an envelope and she was like this is a letter that you're gonna get when the battle is over or something to that effect and he's like okay and he sort of asks her for it at the end of the school year because he figures like okay this is the end of the battle he's sort of had a little bit of a struggle toward the end of the school year because you can tell he's sort of like worn thin by all of this fiasco with Frindle. he's not as into like what would be perceived as troublemaking by some like he's definitely chilled out a little bit And Mrs. Granger asks if he's okay and sort of encourages him to like get that little sparkle back in his eye and which I thought was really sweet, but she does not give him the letter at that point. And he doesn't get the letter until the end of the book. It's 10 years later when he's in college. I thought it was kind of fun. Like I would think if I was a kid reading this book, how cool to get a chance to like read about a junior in college, like how mature. (laughs) Yeah, it was interesting. And also like she went through that trouble to actually mail the letter to him or maybe you know she would have like had to find him right where which school which college he went to and where he is right now what is his current address whatever and she went through that trouble to send him a letter that was that was really nice and for a teacher to remember all these years later because think of how many kids teacher teachers work with on a yearly basis like how many faces to remember you and to do this great thing for you to kind of like you know, put you on the historical map in some way. I thought like it was a really great thing she did. And I forgot about the letter actually for the most part of the book. Yeah. yeah. So the end was kind of a surprise for me because I was like, oh, this is coming back. It's tying back into that. Yeah. Now that I think about it, I feel like I had a couple of teachers over the years who like at some point over the course of the school year were like, okay, write a letter to yourself when you're in 12th grade or something, when we were in sixth grade. And I definitely never got any of those letters. Like I had at least two or three teachers have us do that. And I never saw those letters again. So it was very cool that she remembered this promise that she'd made to him. And he receives not only a letter from her, but also a dictionary with a note. And what we learn is that what she meant by saying when the battle is over is that like when you have been successful, when the word Frindle is in the dictionary and the addition of the dictionary that she has sent him has the word Frindle in it, which is so cool. And then she also sends a letter and the letter is like long-ish, but I'll share a couple of lines that I thought were really kind of magical and extra special. She says, at first I was angry. I admit that I was not happy to see the word pen pushed aside as if it did not matter. She also says at the time that she wrote it, the word frindle has existed for less than three weeks. I now see that this is the kind of chance that a teacher hopes for and dreams about. A chance to see bright young students take an idea they have learned in a boring old classroom and put it to a real test in their own world. I confess that I am very excited to see how it all turns out. I am mostly here to watch it happen. And this is my favorite line. I have it in bold in my notes. 
But somehow I think I have a small part to play in this drama and I have chosen to be the villain. Every good story needs a bad guy, don't you think? (laughs) So she chose to be the villain. I just think it's so interesting. Like, so she was like, okay, I see what's happening. And maybe if I choose to like fight these kids, maybe they'll want to push harder to make it happen. What did you think about that? Yeah, it was such a psychological understanding of human nature. Like if she didn't push him, if she didn't become the villain, he probably wouldn't work this hard to make Rindal happen. He was only doing it initially to like, you know, kind of make trouble to just, you know, use that word or, you know, get back at her in some way. And I think she is the one who actually made it happen because it could easily die. It could be a thing that kids did for like a week and then forgot about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She kept them going yeah. as the villain. Yeah, she did. And But I also think that, you know, in the beginning, she might have really just been angry. And she must have thought that, like she said, you know, I was just really angry. And I didn't, like she thought that he was just being inconsiderate of, you know, the classrooms and even like the laws of the dictionary or whatever. But I guess like after four or five weeks, she decided it changed her mind. And then she was like, okay, so I have to keep him going because he's a great, great kid. Like he's creative, curious. So just to build that up, she started acting as a villain, I guess. Or she started, you know, even trying harder to resist to resist what he was trying to do, I guess. But in the beginning, I think she was just like, she was really just angry and mad. She does admit that in the letter, right? But mm-hmm. I think it takes a really big person to at one point admit to even yeah. even to themselves that, oh, I think I was angry, but I was angry about the wrong thing. And now I see right. how it could be a different thing. And she actually processed that. And I think not a lot of people do that because we get our egos attached. So if you started with angry, you stay with yeah. angry and you're like, okay, now I'm like, totally invested in this anger I have to like see this through yeah I think also to be able to say like okay I'm an adult and I see that Nick being at the time 10 years old like you might be smarter than me on this one like you might have you have a bigger imagination like maybe you have the foresight to see that this could be a really cool thing to be part of and to your point being able to be like okay maybe I was wrong for jumping to being frustrated about that before I could appreciate what you were doing that is really cool of her to do. And I think that's like every kid's dream, like especially every curious, precocious kid's dream is to have an adult realize that like, while they may have been frustrated at first, which I understand completely as your first impulse, especially if you're trying to like keep a classroom of kids under control, but then being able to understand like, oh, but you were you were doing something really smart and cool and interesting all along. And now my job, I realized, was to sort of just like help that story move forward. And I understand that my part of that story was to kind of be the bad guy. But in the end, like, look where it got you. Yeah, that was super cool. And even before the actual end, that conversation that you mentioned where he asked for the letter and she's like, oh, hey, Nick, you seem down. Don't be like that. Like, you know, keep it going. I think that moment itself was redeeming for her for whatever we thought she was becoming because he then goes on to get get his sparkle back, get back to his another idea, which takes him like even forward in his life, right? So I think this one person might have played the biggest role in getting him where he was. Yeah, and that's so special. I feel like everybody has like one teacher, you know, whether it's when you're in elementary school or in college. Like I do think that everybody, even if you don't necessarily realize it at the time, like I think that everybody looking back can recognize like one teacher who saw something special in them. 
or push them. And I think this book does like a really special job of of showing what that relationship can be like, which probably speaks to the fact that Andrew Clemens was a teacher himself. Like he knows how this works and he probably had students like this in his own experience. So I think it's a really special story, especially a really special story for people who love language like we do and who I would assume that you both loved school like I did, even though it sounds like your school was tough in different kinds of ways. (laughs) You know, I think it's definitely like one of those really classic school stories. And I personally loved coming back to it, but I would love to hear like your overall feelings about it, your overall assessment of your first experience with Randall. I think I loved, loved the book. I didn't expect to because I'm like always doubtful with YA and it's not something I read anymore. So I was like, okay, I'm doing this for a podcast. So started feeling like it's a thing I have to do, but then I just like absolutely loved the book. And now after a conversation, I feel like I want to send this book to all the schools in India for teachers to read because we like, Ah, you know, this is how you can be a good teacher. There's an option to be a good teacher. Please take that. From an anonymous sender. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love the book too. I was surprised. I finished it in like two hours. When I started it, I was, I was, I'm like, like, I don't read a lot of YA, but when I started reading it, I was so invested into it. Like I read it like from, I think 2 a.m. to like 4 a.m. or something like that in the night. (laughs) And I loved that book. I was like, oh my God, it's such a cute story. Yeah, super cute. It sneaks up on you, I think. Like even even having read it like the second time, it's like, oh, this is, this snuck up on me. And I remembered why I liked it so much. And the ending of the book, it's that warm, fuzzy feeling. Like it's very hard to describe, but I felt like I haven't felt like this in a long time after reading something. So that was very special to me. Oh, that makes me so happy, especially because, and rightfully so, you were a little skeptical about reading it. I know we all have so much reading on our plates all the time. So I'm glad that it surprised (laughs) you. And I'm so thankful to both of you for going outside of your normal reading comfort zone to read this book with me. What have you been reading other than Frindle that you've been loving and that you would recommend to our listeners? I actually started a new book yesterday. It's called, we are going to discuss it in our podcast as well after I think next month, uh, it's called Karma and Other Stories. It's a collection of short stories by a South Asian author. Rishi Reddy. Rishi Reddy, yeah. I have just read the first story right now, like yesterday, and it was amazing. I have so many thoughts on it and I'm so excited to discuss it with someone. <laughs> <laughs> I have not started that book yet, but I'm reading The Gifts of Imperfection by Brené Brown. And I actually am reading it for the second time, not reading the first time I listened to it on audiobook, loved it, loved it, loved it. Then as I got the book and I'm like, okay, now I'm going to read it because that's a different experience. And that's one book that's like underlined, highlighted, has page markers and everything in it, which, which is like rare for me to like go all out. So that just tells how much I love that book. Yeah. I feel like we all need a little Brene Brown these days, or at least that's how I'm feeling. Oh yes, Definitely. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about your podcast too, because I'm hoping that we can get some SSR listeners go check out what you're doing with Brown Girls Read. Can you share a little bit more about what you do on your show and maybe like how you decided to come up with the idea for it? So on Brown Girls Read, both of us read books and talk about them and also our culture and our personal experiences. So it's not necessarily just about the book, but it goes much beyond that. How it started was we met in a book club. And we realized our 
frequency of reading is very different from everyone else in the group. So we kind of decided to be a small book club of our own in a way. Kathy was like, do you want to do a podcast? And I'm like, oh, yeah, great idea. Let's do it. Like, it was that simple, that quick. And then we didn't even like spend too much time considering should we do it or not. We were more like, oh, we talked about it. We decided we are going ahead with it. And I knew a little bit about podcasting before the tools and stuff. So I guess that helped us like otherwise I feel like a lot of people get discouraged with that like what to buy what mics you need or you know what softwares you need so I guess that wasn't a hurdle which definitely helped us you can check us out on Apple Podcasts we are on Spotify and also on our YouTube channel Brown Girls Read and we read a book every month that's kind of our frequency and we also try to get the authors to get like behind the scenes of the book and their creative process and everything so we just read fair play and uh, you can go check it out and we are bringing the author on soon and we also invite other podcasters and other budding authors because we believe in giving a platform to especially BIPOC and South Asian authors podcasters and we have this video podcast series which we call brown girls happy hour and it's mainly on youtube and igtv and you can find us on instagram at brown girls happy hour or brown girls read pod so cool well i will include links to all things brown girls read in the show notes for this episode and i will be tagging you on the ssr pod instagram this week i really appreciate you both taking the time to read frindle with me i will include links to frindle and your book recommendations in the show notes for this episode as well. Kathy, Daman, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I had so much fun talking with you and I feel like we probably are due for like another book talk at some time in the future. So we're going to have to stay in touch and hopefully do this again sometime. Yes, thank you so much, Ali. Thank you so much for inviting us to your podcast. Really enjoyed discussing Frindle with you. And if you ever decide to make up a word, let me know, loop me in, and I will help you get the word out. I have a feeling we can pull a Nick Allen and like we can make up a word for anything we want. So I'm your girl if you decide that you want to take on that project. Yes, let's do it. Yes. <laughs> world domination with a word. <laughs> Bye. 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 SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. <laughs>